Welcome to the East Coast Music Association's Radio ECMA podcast, the stories behind the songs of Atlantic Canada. Turn up that radio dial. Here's your host, Chris Batstone. Welcome, my friends, to episode 10, season 2 of the Radio ECMA podcast. So happy you decided to join us today. And thank you very much to TD, the proud sponsors of the Radio ECMA podcast. We simply couldn't do this podcast without the grand support of TD. So we thank you very much for that. And I'm especially happy that you dropped by for this episode. This is an episode that I requested. I requested this guest on this episode of the Radio ECMA podcast, and I love my producers at the ECMA, they completely obliged me to bring on St. John's, Newfoundland, and Labrador's own Rachel Cousins. This is an artist, if you haven't heard her, and I think that the audience that hasn't heard her is growing smaller and smaller, but if you haven't heard her yet, you have to hear her. And I've been there pretty much at the start for Rachel Cousins. I saw her in high school, and her story arc as an artist is just continuing from here, and she has just grown so much in such a short amount of time. So going to bring Rachel on here on the podcast. We're going to talk about her speaking her truth today and also about how it relates to mental health. Rachel has experienced mental health issues, anxiety, things like that, bullying over the years, and is making her way through them and is telling her story in the hopes that other people also connect and can feel better about their mental health issues. So we're going to we're going to talk about that. I'm also going to be telling a story about a time that I saw Rachel play in a very unusual place and how at the time it made me just realize her talent because I saw her play in this unusual spot. So we're going to talk about all of that coming up with a full interview with Rachel in a few moments. First of all, let's hear her latest single, Love Language. Rachel Cousins is next on the Radio ECMA podcast. Don't act like you want me, cause you know what it could be. Boy, my love is addictive. If you lose it, you miss it.
That's Love Language, the latest from Rachel Cousins on the Radio ECMA podcast. And so happy to welcome Rachel Cousins to the podcast. Welcome, Rachel. Hi there. Thanks so much for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Thank you for coming on with us. Tell us about that one, Love Language. Yeah, of course. So Love Language was written by myself and my producer, Daniel Adams, and um, a songwriter by the name of Topi. Um, We were part of a songwriting camp, and uh, we have written that song. And um, yeah, it was like, it was just kind of one of those songs that you co-write, and you don't really know if anything's going to come of it. But I have just really connected with it because of, um, I guess, the aesthetic around it and the sound around it. And I knew that it'd be a really good fit for the music that I want to release and for the album that I'm working on. So we... Um, reproduced, I guess, and redid Love Language and um, tracked my vocals on it. And I absolutely fell in love with it and the visuals. Um, So yeah, that's kind of how Love Language was born, was just a part of a songwriting camp that my publisher, uh, Simba, based in Ontario, um, had put for us. And it it just kind of bloomed from there. I mean, we wrote it and didn't really know what was going to come of it. But turns out that I just really fell in love with the song. And so um, we kept it for myself and released it under my name. Okay. It, it, it's definitely a part of uh, a really aggressive new pop sound for you, which yeah. uh, kind of takes you know a little bit of a left turn from the acoustic singer-songwriter uh, stuff that we've heard from you before. Um, is this the direction that you're going to go in with new material? Yeah, I think so. I've, I've been doing pop music for a little while now, ever since I released Let Go. Um, pop music has just kind of been what I settled myself into, and people really seem to respond to it well. I think that this new album is going to take a lot of people by surprise because there will be the acoustic stuff on there. I mean, I have a lot of acoustic stuff written and I I really, really love just releasing um, or the thought of releasing a song with just me and a guitar and staying really true to the roots and the way that I started. So I think that this album is going to be um, pretty self-explanatory. I think that I'm going to release the pop sound that I love because there is some amazing pop music that myself and Daniel have been working on. But also, um, you know, there will be like the acoustic song on there a few acoustic songs and um, some piano and stuff just for the people that have been around since the beginning and really love that um, version of my music as well. And I think that lyrically, it's also more a part of an empowerment stance as well. Yes. Which is, yeah, for uh, sure. which is something that, uh, that I really love about that. Is this something that you're going to continue in, um, you know, on that frame of lyric writing? Yeah, I mean, I love um, a lot of like solo female um, songwriters and artists like Lennon Stella and Olivia Rodrigo is a new one. And she's really doing the whole like female empowerment um, or just empowerment in general. I mean, this song can be for absolutely anybody. And I think that's what I love about it. Um, It's just a song about, you know, I don't need um, I don't need money. I don't need, you know, certain things like certain people have different love languages. But for me, I know that my love language is just affection and care. Um, and touch and being shown that I'm wanted. And so I think that that's what this song kind of speaks to is, you know, I don't need all of the luxury and I don't need your money. I don't need gifts. Um, I just need you to reciprocate my love language kind of thing. And so I think that's why people respond to it. And so many different people respond to it because a lot of people relate to that. Um, and so that's kind of the theme that we stuck with. And uh, and yeah, I love that. I love that theme of music is just empowerment. And it makes people feel good. And um, I'll definitely be releasing a lot more feel good music in the future. Yeah, and I think that the lyric as well is um, more universal than even just love. Like, what I take away from the lyric is that, you know, if you want to be with me, you have to get on my level. And Mm -hmm. that's more about upping your game as well. Of course. You know, upping your effort. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, 
I, re- I really think that message is uh, is very universal. So good job on that and hoping to hear Thank you. Uh, more in that vein from you. Yeah. You, you, you did start very, very early. I, I saw in a, in a recent interview, you said you, you recorded your first song at the age of 12? Yeah, I was recording covers for a little bit. Um, I recorded a few covers and released them. Um, and so I, I fell in love with the studio at a very, very early age. And then my voice teacher at the time, Melanie O'Brien, who's also an amazing singer-songwriter, and yes. she's a part of the Duds as well. Um, she helped me out when it came to songwriting. She would give me words and send me home after voice lessons and say, write a song to this. Um, and that's how I kind of learned guitar as well is that she just challenged me and, um, you know, kind of made me learn it by myself, which is the way that I learned best. And she knew that about me. I mean, I've known Melanie for years. And when I started with her, I was a lot smaller (laughs) and younger. Um, and so, yeah, I started writing music. And then I think by the time I was like 13, I started recording, um, stuff like July, which was like one of the first songs I had ever written and paper heart. Um, I recorded those in studio and I knew right from the beginning that I was going to love, you know, releasing my truth. I was terrified of it first, uh, which is a big thing with songwriting is you are putting out a piece of you. Um, but I loved it from the very beginning. And so I didn't stop after 12 or 13. I just realized that um, I was always going to love releasing music and releasing things that I related to and other people can relate to. So, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, and, and I also love like your dedication to your own music there that's mm-hmm. uh, that's something that is is pretty rare i mean most performance performers you know start out usually with covers obviously and just continue on you know playing live wanting that audience participation and stuff like that and i love mm-hmm. the fact that you that you stick it out with your originals yeah. you know um, that's mm-hmm. that, that's pretty important and and really what I love about your career, Rachel, as well, is that you seem to take any opportunity to play live, like whatever, yeah. whatever the opportunity is out there to play live, you, you always seem to take it. How important is that for you as far as your expression goes and, and your development as an artist playing live? Yeah, of course. Um, I think that it's different for everybody. But for me, I mean, living on an island, it's it can be quite difficult to find opportunities. So when it does arise, I know that I have to jump on it right away. And um, and I don't I don't see the music community as super competitive. I mean, of course, you can look at it like that, but it's all about perspective. So for me, it's not me competing with anybody to try and get as many gigs as I possibly can or, or any of that stuff. It's truly just because I love playing live. It's something that keeps me going. Um, throughout COVID, especially, I found myself wanting to to throw in the towel and say that I needed to go back to school or start something else. And that's me being totally vulnerable because I think that it's um, it's really challenging to hear other musicians say that they've never thought about quitting. They've never thought about any of that kind of stuff. But for me, um, I've had thoughts like that. I mean, as much as I love music, it, it was really difficult during COVID. And I, I know now that playing live shows is what keeps me afloat and what gives me that adrenaline rush and it makes it all feel worth it. So I do take up every opportunity because not only do I need, um, I guess, the support and I need the exposure from playing live um, and, you know, it creates a fan base. But it also is just one of those things that I love the most when it comes to music. As much as I love recording, I will always go back to playing live because it just makes me feel like I'm doing the right thing for myself. Um, so anytime anybody ever asks me to play live, I jump on it because whether it's 20 minutes um, not paid or if it's a four hour set. Um, you know, I'm going to go do it because, you know, who knows who's sitting in the audience and I always feel good after I get off stage. So that's kind of why I take every opportunity that I can get. 
Yeah, and and you, you certainly seem to do that, and and I've seen you um, quite a few times. I, I think the first time I saw you was when you performed "Arrow of Love" with the Holy Heart Choir. Um, yeah, my my daughter Allison was also in the Holy Heart Choir, same time as you. So, uh, so she told me about you, and then I went to see the show, and that was the first time I was exposed to you there. But you know, honestly, I, I think I think my favorite time that I've seen you play was at Mark's Work Warehouse on Merchant Drive. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you remember that gig? I do remember that, I do remember that gig. Yeah. yeah, and and I think like that that's my favorite really because when I saw you there, I mean, like it, it was a really really unusual concert situation. Mark's Work Warehouse are having mm-hmm. a sale. They got an anniversary or something like that on the go. And and they're having entertainment in the store while people shopped. And and you're up there playing and and people are not there to attend a concert, obviously. They're they're shopping for boots or, or clothes or something like that. And I just was really, really struck by the way that instead of getting up and playing Wagon Wheel or whatever, you stuck to your originals. Yeah. So uh, how important is that to you to to yeah. continue to put your originals out there? Yeah, I mean as much as I say like obviously as somebody who played before before covid I was playing um like close to over 100 shows a year and obviously it's an easier route to get up and learn a bunch of covers and get up and sing those and a lot of people want that. I mean, I had to challenge myself to stop giving in to I guess the the audience that wants you to play like traditional Newfoundland or get up and sing covers that everybody knows. And that's important, of course. And I do it um, when I have a bigger set list. But I think that I challenged um, not only my audience, but myself by saying, please listen to my original music. And I think that the more artists do that, um, the more response we're going to get from it. Because I know that I've done many gigs where I get up and I start singing my originals and everybody talks over you. And nobody's paying attention because it's not something they're familiar with. But the only way you're going to get people familiar with your music is to just play it. And so that's what I've really stuck true to. And I I mentioned earlier that it was really hard for me to do that at first because it's really vulnerable. Like you're telling your truth and you're telling um, these strangers about heartbreak or mental health issues or something that you're going through. But you also have to remember that somebody else in the audience is going through that. So I always try and remember that when I get up and I'm playing songs and I'm like, nobody is listening. Nobody's hearing this. Everybody just wants me to play covers that they know. Um, But then afterwards, I get down after playing like an hour and a half of original music and somebody will come up to me and say, like, I really loved this or this brought tears to my eyes or this made me smile because I relate to it. and I liked hearing it. Um, And I love when artists get up and they introduce their original music and people, um, whether or not they listen, they just keep playing it and they're not going to get up and sing um, you know, Blackbird or Wagon Wheel or something like that that people want. And especially in Newfoundland, it's an aging population and people love their traditional Newfoundland music or just traditional country. Um, and I've just always challenged it here. And, you know, I've either lost fans or I've gained fans because of it, but I'm just somebody who's going to do what feels best to me. Um, and I think that the music industry needs more of that. And the only way that people are going to start listening is if artists start doing it. So, um, so yeah, I've just always loved playing my originals because it makes it all feel a little bit more worthwhile and there's always somebody that um that relates to it and reciprocates that feeling at the end of a set 
Yeah, I, I, I really love that attitude. That's a, that's an incredible attitude here, and 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 I think as well. I mean, for me personally, it's it's not just about your songs, but but to me, it's 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 also about your voice. Like going back to that time, I saw you at Mark's Work Warehouse, which was obviously a very uh, difficult situation, and and and, and your voice kind of struck me at the time as. Something that I would compare to like a Jerry Hollett from from the once, Um, Uh you know, Jerry, I like to say about Jerry that when she sings, it sounds like her soul is singing. You know, it's not it's not like regular singing. It's it's like it's coming from a different place because the music Uh is is so personal to Jerry and and she's able to get across like a deeper emotion and and when I saw you that time at Markswork Warehouse, like I'm thinking like, man, even in this store, like she's still the songs are still super personal enough that you can feel it, you know, through your voice. Like, do you feel that your songs are, are that personal to you that it, it changes where your voice comes from? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I can definitely hear a difference when I'm singing something that I really don't relate to and I'm just playing it to play it. Um, because every artist has those songs in their set list. And then versus when I sing something like Man of Stone or Hope to Bring, um, it's like it, it, it even feels different in your body. I mean, I'm somebody who's all about energy and um, I'm really big into spirituality and things like that. And for me, I just feel it resonate completely different in my body when I'm singing something that I really feel Um I mean, I've literally broken down and cried on stage before while singing a song because I'm bearing my soul and I'm it's bringing up emotions that I've either forgotten about or I've, you know, shoved down a little bit deeper. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I do understand what you're talking about because I listen to some artists and they just really are bearing their soul all the time. Um, so, yeah, I think that that's really important to me. It's always something that I've practiced because that's a really hard thing to do. And it's so much easier to sing a cover that you don't relate to at all. Um, but obviously when you sing something that you do relate to, it's going to hit you a lot differently. You're going to sing it differently. It's just the way that energy works in your body. So, um, so yeah, absolutely. I, I definitely relate to that. And, um, and I really appreciate you saying that it's nice to hear that people do notice that difference and, um, and feel that when you are singing something that you really care about. Yeah. Especially when you're amongst people who are buying jeans and boots. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Really. <laughs> you're able to get that across. So I think, yeah. I, I think, I think that's, a, that's a really great talent. All right. That's great. All right. Well, excellent. We're going to play another song here and uh, then we're going to come back after and uh, cover a couple of topics having to do with mental health, which I know um, is something that's very, very important to you and uh, about something that uh, goes throughout your songwriting. So, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that right after we hear Aftermath. Rachel Cousins is back with us next on the Radio ECMA podcast. If I say I'm doing well, I'm lying so you can't tell. But I'm dying through this hell. My Stay, we've been fighting the obvious reason. 
After that, we don't wanna walk away. But every time we try to stay, we've been fighting the obvious reasons, avoiding the loneliness. When did love become a war? It never really was before. Can we go back before the aftermath? That's aftermath from Rachel Cousins on the Radio ECMA podcast. And Rachel Cousins is back with us here. Why don't you tell us about that one, Rachel? Yeah, Aftermath was written by um, by a few songwriters, myself, Kelly Loader, Brett Vey, Ian Crew, and Paige Penny. Uh, we were a part of a songwriting challenge that Music NL was putting off. And so uh, we had all gotten together in this group. And um, I believe that Kelly had um, some ideas when it came to chord progressions and things like that. And Ian crew is an amazing piano player. So he sat down on the piano and started playing this. And, um, and then we all started writing lyrics and putting down ideas and Brett Fay, who owns the uh, music box studio at CBS, we recorded out there as well as write it. Um, so we recorded it. And once again, it was one of those scenarios where you write the song, um, as part of the challenge and don't really know who's going to take it or what's going to happen with it. But I sang the song, I demoed the vocals on it. And instantly I was like, wow, I am just so obsessed with this song. And I didn't really relate to it at the time, to be honest, but I just loved the lyrics and the visuals and, um, the imagery that it created. So I think it was a little while later, I had messaged the group and I said, I would really, really love to re-record this and uh, release it under my name and it will end up on, you know, the next album that I do. And so uh, that's exactly what I did. And then I ended up putting a music video out um, that was produced by Daniel Adams and Devin Suli. Um, Devin Suli is just absolutely amazing. So he did all the video and, and um, directed it and produced it. And Daniel had so many ideas. And Daniel Adams is literally a creative genius. Not only is he my producer, but he's also just a genius when it comes to um to visuals and things like that as well so um yeah the song really took off and i started to relate to it probably only a month or two ago uh when i had a big change in my life and i listened to my own song for the first time and i was like oh wow i really really need this song now in my life so even when i play it now it hits me completely differently than when it did when i first uh released it but yeah aftermath is really special to me and it brought me um, a lot closer with those other songwriters like myself and Kelly and Paige and Brett and Ian have just been amazing. And with my publisher, they're all just working so well together. So it definitely brought a lot of opportunity. Um, and so that's kind of that's kind of how Aftermath was born. OK, yeah, that um, I, and I can relate to that as well. Like sometimes you need a little time away from a song just to uh, assess it differently and uh, yeah. and how it relates to you as well so that's For uh, sure. that's that's pretty good to have that time where you can step back and uh, and, yeah. and have a look at it from uh, from a different lens uh, tell me about your producer Daniel Adams uh, you you're just saying like what a creative genius he is and um, tell me about the role that he plays in your music um, obviously the person behind the board and, and producing you but um, I'm sensing that it's more than that yeah, I mean, Daniel is definitely one of my best friends. Like, I consider Daniel like family at this point. Um, he's seen me at my worst and he's seen me at my best and he's helped me through a lot. Um, and I've seen him grow just as a person and as a producer and songwriter. He's an amazing songwriter. Um, we first started working together after Let Go, which was my first pop single. And, um, we once we recorded Let Go again, um, we just realized how well we work together. And he's one of those people that when I have no idea what I'm thinking about or what I want to do, it seems like he knows it for me and he knows what my next step needs to be. So 
he's he's literally like a mentor to me at this point um and he's gonna kill me for talking so much about him but that's okay <laughs> he's very very humble and he doesn't know what a great guy he is and what a great producer um but like i said visuals he's helped me with cover art and um and social media and all of those things he's very well-rounded but i really think that he's gonna blow up as a producer and he's working with so many great people in toronto as well um i know that he works very close with kelly loader so yeah, he's he's amazing and he's been so amazing. We're working on this album together now and um and it's just it's so much fun. I mean, when we're together it's um you know, we're there to make music, but we're also there to learn so much about the music together and um and yeah, he's just amazing and I really hope that he pops off the way that I know he deserves and the way that he doesn't yet know he deserves, but um he's doing some amazing stuff and even the stuff that he's making that I have listened to um it's just insane like i think that he's definitely one of the best producers to come off the island so yeah yeah and it, it, it definitely seems that way i mean love language is uh, is a fantastic single very very well produced and and i think that's great it's 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 important for an artist to have like those outside set of ears to collaborate yeah. with to bounce ideas off of and maybe to fill that role that the artist does not fill, you know, someone right. who's, who's better at, you know, producing better at, you know, can, can, you know, guide you in those directions. And I think that's, uh, that's really important. It's, it's great that you have, uh, Daniel in your life to, uh, to, yeah. help, to help you out with that. That's, that's For sure. And, and just having somebody there that will challenge you, but you know that it's out of love, um, is another great thing. I mean, <laughs> he can yeah. tell you himself that I have done recording sessions with him and have been crying because I don't think I can hit this note or I'm frustrated or I have writer's block. And he's always the one to just kind of like give me a shove and say, snap out of it. Like we're here to do some business and you sound amazing. And he always just seems to pull me out of uh, my own head. So he's uh, yeah, he's great. That, that's, that's really important. I mean, everybody needs like a great coach, you know, in, For sure. in, in whatever you're doing. And, uh, and that's incredible that you got someone that you trust so well and, uh, and can be so deeply involved there. Um, mm-hmm. I want to, I want to talk about your journals right now yeah. because I've, I've, I've read in articles about you, um, about how important your journals are to you. So maybe you can expand on that here and, uh, and how it relates to mental health as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, I started journaling at a really young age. I have always struggled with mental health and anxiety and things. I was a very anxious kid and uh, we didn't really know it at the time. But now that we look back, it all made a lot of sense. And I didn't really know how to communicate. I was severely bullied in junior high and I didn't want to talk to anybody about it. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to say it. And so when it came to journaling, it was so easy for me to write down on a piece of paper how I felt. Nobody had to see it. I would hide it under my mattress and nobody had to see it. It was just like my secret and my truth. And and it was just there for myself. So I have always journaled about my feelings. But um, I think it kind of started when I started songwriting. I would just jot down random ideas or random feelings that I had that I didn't want to deal with or talk about. Um, And that's how I started songwriting. I'd go back through my journals and I have probably close to like six journals just floating around in my room that's just in my room that's not even including like things that I carry with me like there is literally a journal in every corner of my room um and there's there's so many songs that I could write out of that journal but maybe I'm just not ready to go back and touch it yet um but you look at songs like Arrow of Love and Arrow of Love was sitting in a journal for probably four years before it was released so um yeah journaling has always helped me a lot and 
like I said, with mental health, uh, which I'm a big, big advocate for. And I try to be as vulnerable as I can when it comes to it, because I know that people do really need to hear it. Um, and I wish that somebody had been a little bit more vulnerable and talked about it more because for a lot of years, I felt really, um, I guess, alone in that struggle. Um, but journaling was always just something that I could tell my truth to and put it out to the universe. And it was like a release, but nobody had to read it. Nobody had to know about it. So I still journal a lot and I still write in my notes and my phone a lot. Um, it's something that I'll always do just because it is a really great form of therapy. And I definitely recommend it, even if you're not a songwriter. So. Yeah, I, I think it's a great form of therapy as well. Um, you're, you're getting your feelings out and, and and you don't have to expose them to anybody but yourself, but just writing them down is is therapeutic. And I know my grandfather, for example, he was a huge journaler. And now that he's 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 passed away, he's been passed away for a number of years now, like those journals are so precious to me because I, I get a, a real insight into what he did and, and what he went through. And, and um, yeah. I mean, that's something that maybe, you know, you can share with your other family, you know, perhaps at a later date. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if, if, if you feel comfortable doing that, obviously. And, and, and the piece about mental health, I mean, you, you seem to be a very large advocate. Like, what does mental health mean to you as far as not just existing in music, but existing day to day? Yeah, of course. Um, It's been a few years now that I really started struggling with mental health. I mean, after I had left my junior high and I transferred to a new high school just due to bullying issues, which happens um, more than people talk about, I had started getting pretty severe anxiety and and depression. And I was feeling things that I, I had never really heard about before. I mean, I heard about people feeling sad, but I never really knew that, you know, it could affect you so heavily. And I felt really guilty for it. And I felt like I was like maybe making it up in my head and I didn't really know what was going on. And it was a few years later that I was finally diagnosed with something and I started therapy and I was put on medication because I was terrified of it first because, you know, you're starting medication for your brain. Like it's scary. It is. But then I started realizing that, well, I mean, if you have a heart problem, you're going to get on medication for it. And it's no different. It's just that my brain was what was chemically imbalanced. So Um, Then I really started my healing journey and I had a few setbacks along the way, but healing is never linear. And I made sure that no matter how bad I was struggling, I was very vocal about it because there was people out there that I didn't even know um, that once I talked about my story and I, and I shared it on things like social media for the first time, people were messaging me saying like, Oh my goodness, it means so much that somebody like you who is successful and like is having a name for themselves I know that you're struggling. So I know that I can do it. And I know that I'm not alone and it's not weird. It's nothing to be ashamed of. So, you know, I'm on, I'm on a whole other healing journey now. I'm waiting to be, to have a new diagnosis in the mental health system here. Um, you know, it really needs a facelift, but, um, I'm just like trying my hardest to, um, to be vocal about it. And I mean, everybody has really big setbacks and I just always try and tell people that they're not alone and they're very capable of healing and being successful no matter what they go through. Um, taking away the stigma from things like medication and therapy and all these things are so important. And I think the other thing is accessibility is uh, is pretty rough here on the island and in Canada, it's pretty rough. But um, here on the island, it's it's near impossible to get help when you need it. So I try and talk about it as much as I can just because it is really important. And I wish that it was talked about more um, when I first started struggling and I was really scared and felt very alone. But um, but yeah, mental health is something that I've I've always really 
spoken about openly um, and freely once I realized that it's okay to struggle. And I, you know, I've, I've lost a friend recently to, to a suicide and, um, and then it, it brought me new lessons that I never really thought I would have to learn this young. I mean, losing a friend to something like that is, is really difficult. But, um, but I think once again, it's just one of those things like you have to talk about it and, Um, it's no different than when your body is sick. Like it's just different. Your brain is sick and, um, that scares people. So they don't talk about it as much, but if anything, it's more important to talk about it so that people, um, it's easier for people to reach out and get the help that they need before it's too late or before they feel, um, really alone and isolated. So yeah, that's why mental health and advocacy and stuff is really important to me. Yeah. And, and, and I love the way that you are approaching it here. It seems like you are approaching your mental health as far as um, how you approach a lot of things like your, your career, um, your music, you know, trusting the process and, right. and, 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 and believing in the process as well. And, and that you're going to be um, fine on the other side, which, um, Absolutely. which I think is really great. That That's awesome. Yeah. And, um, I want to talk about your career here now because um, you're taking kind of a different route with your career. A lot of artists, uh, at least back in the day, you know, when physical product in the music industry ruled, it was getting signed by a record company and starting your career from there. I'm of the opinion, the personal opinion, like publishers are the new record companies because mm-hmm. of streaming platforms because of placements that you can get your songs in TV shows and and other things as well that publishing companies kind of have filled that role because physical product has disappeared pretty much in the music industry. Tell me about your publisher right. um, and and how you got hooked up and the opportunities that you've had. Yeah, of course. Um, so, Simba is based out of Ontario, like I had said. And when I released Let Go, um, I had had them reach out to me and say, you know, we think that this song has a lot of potential. And Vince, who is um, who is the head of Simba, I'm really close with Vince. And he's always, he, you know, they're, they're more than just a publisher to me at this point. Like, they are definitely a, a team for me. They've created so much opportunity. And they've made it a lot easier for me to get payment for my music because I mean, you get things like syncs and TV and movies and, and radio. They've made it a lot easier on myself and my mom. Cause we're, it's just the two of us here, right. <laughs> uh, my team and as my management team. So yeah, I really, I really recommend um, to any other artists getting a publisher just to get you out there. And I mean, you obviously have to be super careful with contracts and, um, and somebody being genuine and actually wanting to help you and not being there for the money. And that's exactly what Simba has done for me. Um, I mean, obviously the business is there and everybody wants to get paid at the end of the day, but they're always just looking to help me be bigger and better and release killer music and get it placed into things. Um, and like you said, I mean, the solid music isn't there anymore. Like nobody can release or afford to release solid copies of music because you're not going to sell it because a lot of the people driving around town don't have a CD player even in their car anymore. So you're not making money, you're putting money into it and you end up in the red at the end of the day when you're trying to sell CDs and you can't even get them sold. So um, I, uh, to be honest, like with this new record, I don't even know if it'll be pressed into a CD. I think that it will be a virtual release, which is so scary when you think about it, <laughs> that music is evolving into that. But yeah. but musicians are really great at evolving with the times and we've always done it and we will continue to do it. Um, but that's why it's so important to have somebody 
like a publisher there to help you get your money and get your exposure that you need. Um, and that's exactly what they've done for me. And they've been so great with it. Um, and always, you know, hooking me up with other songwriters and that kind of thing. So yeah, I, I could not be more grateful for the team that I have behind me. That is Simba. And tell me about uh, the co-writing because uh, yeah. you have co-written a, a few songs. Obviously, um, Aftermath was was a huge co-write for you. And uh, what do you take away from that uh, as far as like how it differs from writing on your own to writing with other writers? What are the main challenges there when writing with other people? Yeah, I think the challenges about writing with other people. um, When I first started, it was being vulnerable and not being afraid to like mess up around somebody or say something stupid. Um, But that's part of the fun of it. I mean, everybody's going to say something stupid when you're in a co-writing session with like four or five people. Like you're going to say something and it'll be like, "Eh, that's not going to work here or here. Maybe we'll just put it at the bottom of the document. Um, And that happens. But, you know, I think that was one of the challenges that I had to go over was pride and ego. Um, When you're writing stuff with other people, you can be writing about yourself, but maybe you're writing for that person or with that person. So it's honestly just a huge learning curve. Um, You learn how to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. You learn a lot about empathy. Um, And once again, pride and ego, you cannot be butthurt in a songwriting session. (laughs) If you say an idea and nobody wants a part of it, like it's just the way that it's going to be. And so I learned to not you know, have my ego dented and not let it bruise my confidence because I mean, you're writing a song, like it's, you're sharing stories with each other. I've had songwriting sessions where we all cry because we're all sharing really vulnerable things. And that's the beautiful thing about songwriting and music is that it's such a universal language. Um, But yeah, like co-writing has just taught me so much about myself and the way that I interact with my peers. Um, I love co-writing. I love ghostwriting, which just means that I'm writing for somebody else. um, And they don't even, they're not even in the session. I've done um, a little bit of that, and I love that as well. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun. It's really challenging, but um, but at the end of the day, it pays off because somebody else is singing your song, and they deliver it really well. And sometimes I'll write a song for myself, or so I think, and I just really – it doesn't click with me. I don't think that I deliver it the way that I should be. And so I'll you know pitch it to somebody else, and maybe somebody else really loves that song, and uh, and they deliver it the way that it should have been. So I think it's super cool. Like co-writing is just so exciting and it's something new every day. You could walk into a co-writing session and not write a word down for two hours because maybe it's just not clicking that day. But sometimes you go into a co-writing session and you get the amazing feeling of clicking with everybody there and everybody's on the same page and you write an amazing song. um, And it's just really rewarding at the end of the day. So yeah, I love co-writing and it's a lot different than solo writing, of course. But um, to be honest, I love having somebody else there, even if it's just one person. They don't even have to write lyrics, but just somebody to bounce things off of. And maybe they're doing the music and I'm doing the lyrics or vice versa. Um, it makes it not only a lot easier, but it just makes things a little bit clearer in your head. And you're not so hard on yourself for one. I've learned um, when you're writing individually, it's really easy to pick yourself apart. But with co-writing, it's like at least there's a little bit of support there. So um, I've done a lot of co-writing and I really, really love it. Yeah. And, and and I can only imagine that rush as well that you get. You're just talking about that, about like when it's all clicking with a co-writer and you both know that you've created something really, really awesome. You know, that that, yeah. that rush just must be must be uh, super incredible. I, th- I think that's fantastic. What's up, sure. what's up next for you, Rachel? Um, 
in in the uh, in the coming days and months as we are hopefully coming out of covid you know into perhaps more live performing you're talking about uh, your next record what's next for you yeah so um i mean i was just put up for three music nl awards yes congratulations thank you so much it's definitely what i need it right now um just a little bit of validation a little bit of a push when everything was feeling a little bit hard and I felt like I was, you know, pulling a little bit, but um, to be nominated is amazing. So I'm really excited about that. I'm writing and recording a lot for this album uh, that I hope to release in the new year. Myself and Daniel are seeing so much of each other, just trying to get this album recorded uh, for deadlines and things like that. So that's my biggest thing right now is getting this album done um, so I can release it and, you know, have enough time to write enough songs and really sit with it for a little bit. So that's what I'm doing right now. Um, I have a few ideas when it comes to live shows. Um, Hopefully it'll start picking up a little bit again now, but uh, I just did a few. I just did Cape to Cabot. I did a songwriter circle with Kelly Loader. Um, But for right now, I'm just, I think I'm just going to lay low and try and record this album and take whatever opportunity I can when it comes to live music. And, um, and yeah, I think that after, um, you know, the music and all awards and things like that. And into the new year, I think that stuff's going to feel like a new normal and a little bit more stable for us. So I'm really excited. I think that um, the next coming months are going to be really important for me. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited to, to get some new music out for sure. Okay. I can't wait for that new album. I'm such a big fan of yours. I think it's going to be incredible based on your previous work it's, uh, it's just going to keep getting better. So uh, congratulations on your Music NL nominations. I hope you walk away with a clean sweep, and I can't wait to hear the new record. And thank you very much, Rachel, for appearing on the Radio ECMA podcast. Amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. There's Rachel Cousins, so fantastic, and can't wait for a brand new album from her. Her recordings are just getting better and better. Her songwriting is just getting better and better. And and she's only 20 years old. You know, and I'm thinking like, what is she going to be doing like five years from now? I mean, wow. Not that I want to fast forward five years because I can't wait to hear what she's going to release over that period of time. But I think she's going to be like on a whole nother level in five years. So it's just going to be incredible to watch and listen to her story as it evolves. Evolves. And thank you very much for listening to the Radio ECMA podcast. You know, we're going to be back next month. Look, the season is fast coming to a close. We're going to have a, a nice finale at the end of this season. And I thank you very much for hanging in with us throughout this whole season. Hopefully we'll be renewed for a season three coming up. Regardless, you got to come back next month as we present another amazing episode of the Radio ECMA podcast. I'm Chris Badstone. Bye for now. The Radio ECMA podcast with host Chris Batstone is produced by the East Coast Music Association, recorded at Imaging by Guido in St. John's, ibgrocks.com, presented by TD, music by Cassie Mann. For more information on upcoming episodes, head to ecma.com or find us on socials at East Coast Music. Thanks for listening.